Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn once again to the book of Revelation, and we're going to read Revelation chapter 10. Let us hear the word of God. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, the seven seals and especially the seven trumpets of Revelation tell us that one day this world and everything and everyone in it will be destroyed. This destruction will not take place all at once, it will take place over many centuries, and it will be accomplished by means of war, plague, and various natural disasters. And the closer we come to the end of time, the more destructive these events will become. And as we've seen, believers will not be raptured from the earth before these things take place. They will have to endure these judgments along with everyone else. Now this raises the question, how are we to respond to this? How are we to live in light of this reality? What is our task? What is our calling in a world that is doomed to destruction and that is being destroyed even as we speak? Well, we have an answer to that question in our text passage, Revelation chapter 10. Last week we studied the sixth trumpet. 
And we saw that with the sounding of this trumpet, four powerful demons from beyond the Euphrates were released along with 200 million horsemen. And their task was to make war on the earth and to kill one-third of the world's population. But just as there was a pause or an interlude between the sixth and seventh seals, so there is an interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpets. This interlude consists of two scenes. In the first scene, which is recorded in chapter 10, we read how John received a little book and was commissioned to proclaim its contents. And in the second scene, which is chapter 11, the first 14 verses, we read of the two witnesses. Both of these visions help us to understand what our task, what our role as believers is during this final period of world history. In a word, it is to continue to do what the church has always done. It is to continue to preach and share the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's consider the first scene of this interlude, the vision of the mighty angel with the little book. And that's also our theme today. We'll consider, first of all, its divine origin, secondly, its required consumption, and thirdly, its continued proclamation. So far, the Apostle John has spent most of his time in the throne room of God in heaven. And it was there that he received most of his visions. But now John is no longer in heaven. He is somewhere on earth. And while he is there, he sees an angel coming down from heaven. Now this angel is a very special angel. John calls him mighty. What is more, he says, he is clothed with a cloud. A rainbow was on his head. And his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Well, this glorious and exalted description has led some scholars to suggest that this angel is actually the Lord Jesus Christ, and for good reason, since what is said of this angel in various passages in both the Old and New Testaments is also said about God. But it's unlikely that this angel is Christ, and I say that for several reasons. First of all, he is called another angel. That suggests that he is exactly like the other angels mentioned previously. Secondly, whenever Christ appears in the book of Revelation, John gives him an unmistakable title. For example, the firstborn from the dead, or the lion of the tribe of Judah, and so on. But no such title is given here. Thirdly, this angel is said to come down from heaven to the earth. But the only time that Christ will return to earth will be at the second coming, which will not take place until the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Well, if this angel is not Christ, who is it? Well, the truth is we simply don't know. Some have suggested that he is Michael or one of the archangels of God, but we cannot be certain of this. One thing we can say, that while this angel is probably not the Lord Jesus Christ, he certainly reflects the splendor and the glory of Christ, which stands to reason since he has just come from the very throne room of God. One commentator puts it like this, and I quote, The radiance of the angel's appearance 
marks him as one who bears the image of his master, reflecting the master's glory as he brings the master's message, end quote. Now, there's certainly precedent for that. You may remember the time when Moses came down the mountain after meeting with God for 40 days, and his face shone with the glory of God. It shone so brightly, in fact, that the people of Israel asked him to wear a veil. Well, just as Moses radiated with the glory of God after he came down from the mountain, so this angel radiates with the same glory as he comes down from heaven to earth. But what's especially significant about this angel is not so much what he looked like, but what he was holding in his hand. And John draws our attention to this. And what was it? What was he holding in his hand? He tells us it was a little book or scroll. Now, what is this little book? Well, it's most likely an abridged or shortened version of the book of chapter 5, verse 1, the book that was sealed with the seven seals. And this is confirmed by the fact that this book was open. Now, by this time, all seven of the seals had been unloosed. And what is more, six of the trumpets had already been blown, and that explains why the book was open. The fact that it was open indicates that more judgments were to come. The seventh trumpet still had yet to be blown, and the seven bowls, which we read of in chapter 16, had yet to be poured out. But why is this book so small? Well, partly because John had to eat it, but also to communicate that the book does not contain everything there is to know about God's plan for mankind. There are things about this plan that we need to know, and there are things that we do not need to know and that are not revealed to us. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says as much. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The things we need to know the things that are revealed, they are contained in this little book. Whatever is not contained in this little book, we do not need to know. Well, with this little book open in his hand, John tells us that the angel set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now, this posture communicates divine sovereignty. It reminds us that God is king over all the earth both over all the land and over all the sea. And therefore, he is qualified to judge the entire world. But it also reminds us that everything is under his control. Well, having assumed this position, John tells us that the angel cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Now, the roaring of the lion in Scripture is often associated with judgment, specifically the judgment of God. For example, the prophet Jeremiah once wrote, The Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will give a shout as those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. Similarly, the prophet Joel wrote, The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Well, we see the same thing happening here. This angel roars like a lion in anticipation of the judgments of God to come. And as he did, John says, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, in the Bible, seven is a number of fullness and completion. 
Thunder is often a harbinger of judgment. And so in 1 Samuel 7, verse 10, we read that as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, that the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. And then we read that the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. But the thunder here is not just a noise. This thunder speaks, and that leads some to speculate that this may indeed be the voice of God himself. So like the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, the seven thunders convey the message that God is about to unleash even more judgments on the earth as punishments for man's persistent refusal to repent. Well, as John hears the voices of thunder, like an obedient servant, he immediately proceeds to write down everything that he heard. But before he could write down the very first word, a voice from heaven, probably the voice of an angel or perhaps even of God himself, said, seal up, meaning lock away the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Now, why John was forbidden to write down what was said by the seven thunders, we do not know. The text doesn't tell us. It may be because what the thunders spoke was part of the secret will of God. It may be because the message was so extraordinary, like the vision that Paul relates in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that the church has no business knowing it. Again, we, we don't know. What's really significant is what the angel does next. We read in verse 5, The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be no delay, no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. The angel here with his hand raised as though he was in a court of law swears a solemn oath to God that the day of judgment would be delayed no longer. You may remember in chapter 6 verse 10 how the martyrs wanted to know how long it would be before their blood was avenged on their enemies. And at that time, God told them to be patient, and a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as was, was completed. Well, now this angel declares that the time has come. The six trumpets have sounded. The seventh trumpet, ushering in the second coming of Christ, is now about to sound, and then there would be no more delay. With the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Now we can learn several lessons from this. First of all, we learn that all of human history, including the events leading to the second coming, have been predetermined by God. They're all written in a book. And that reminds us that God is supreme. Nothing happens by chance. Whatever happens in this world is the result of God's sovereign will and has been ordained from all eternity and serves his purposes, which is to propel history forward until the day of Christ's second coming. And since that is so, beloved, we have nothing to fear. Terrible judgments will be unleashed on the earth before Christ returns, but they are all under God's control. They are all written in the little book which was written by God himself. The second lesson we learn here is that Christ is coming. 
Sometimes we wonder when this will be. Some of us may even question whether he will come at all, for it seems to be taking so long. Certainly many unbelievers do. Peter tells us that in the last days, scoffers will come, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But these scoffers do not know what they're talking about, because Christ is coming. When he is coming, we do not know, but he is coming. Of that we may be absolutely certain, and to assure us of this, the angel swears an oath to God. Now the question is, are you ready to meet him? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you seeking refuge in him? Apart from him, you will most certainly perish. But in him, you will be kept safe to all eternity. And therefore I say to you, do not delay. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And the promise of the gospel is, you shall be saved. We see, therefore, that the little book has its origin in God. It was written by God and delivered by the angel at the command of God. But what was John to do with this book? Well, that brings us to our second point. After the angel announced the end of the delay, John heard the voice from heaven instructing him to go and take the little book from the hand of the angel. And that's what he did. And then he was commanded to do something very strange. He was commanded to eat the book. Now we find something similar to this in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8. There God commanded Ezekiel to speak his words to the rebellious children of Israel. But it was not just to convey these words. First, he had to eat them up, literally. Well, what does it mean to eat the words of the Lord? Well, obviously, this is symbolical language. It means to think about these words, to mull them over in your mind, to receive them in your heart, to believe them, to be convicted by them, to digest them to the point that they become part of you. This is what John was required to do. He was to eat the little book. And he did. And lo and behold, it tasted good. We read in verse 10, Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Now we find similar language elsewhere in Scripture. In Psalm 19, verse 10, the psalmist says that the law, or the word of God, was sweeter to him than the honey and the honeycomb. And in Psalm 119, verse 103, the psalmist exclaims, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And we see the same thing here. This little book that John ate was as sweet as honey in his mouth. Now by saying this, John is simply saying that it was pleasant. It was satisfying. Now why was it pleasant? Why was it satisfying? John MacArthur explains it like this, and I quote, Because John, like all believers, wanted the Lord to act in judgment, to take back the earth that is rightfully his, and be exalted, honored, and glorified as he deserved. 
which is exactly what the little book contains. And this is what the word of God says God will do. And as such, it was as sweet as honey in John's mouth. Well, as soon as he swallowed it, however, it became very bitter. It became bitter because the same word that was sweet to the taste would bring terrible judgments on the earth, resulting in great destruction and loss of life. Now, we're reminded here that the Bible is not all sweetness. It includes bitterness as well. Oh, we love the sweetness. We tend to avoid the bitterness. We love the passages and we love sermons that provide comfort and encouragement and hope. We don't like so much the passages and sermons that speak of sin and of judgment. But beloved, this is wrong. The truth is, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, that all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is therefore profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and that includes the less palatable parts of Scripture. And so let us be careful never to disparage, much less to denigrate, those parts of Scripture that are not necessarily to our liking. Let us treasure them also and learn from them as well. We're also reminded here that if we are going to profit from the Scriptures, we must eat them, not literally, of course, but spiritually. We must consume them. We must digest them. Sometimes people complain that they don't get much out of Bible study or reading the Bible at home or in their personal devotions. Maybe the reason for that is because you're not taking the time to digest them. You're simply reading some words on the page. You're not reflecting on them. You're not meditating on them. You're not asking how they apply to you and your life. Well, make no mistake, beloved, the Bible is not like any other book. It is the Word of God. And therefore, it should not be read solely for information or to entertain us. It is the inspired Word of God. And therefore, like John, we need to consume it. We need to eat it up, even though it sometimes is bitter to the taste. This is the only way we're going to grow. And this is not only how we must read the Scriptures, it also is how ministers must preach them. Ministers may not simply preach what people like to hear. They must preach the whole counsel of God, and that includes passages that some people don't like to hear. But before they can preach them, they must consume them. No preacher of the Word should ever get up behind a pulpit who has not fully digested the Word he's about to preach. Woe be to that man who does so and any congregation that is subject to such preaching. And so John was commanded to eat the little book. But that's not all, for he was also commanded to proclaim it. And that brings us to our third and final point. After taking the, tasting the bitterness of the little book, the angel said to John, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now you'll notice that four groups of people are mentioned here covering all aspects of human society. 
John here is commanded to prophesy or to preach about or concerning all of them. And what was he to preach? Well, he wasn't to preach God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He was to preach what was contained in the little book. He was to proclaim the judgments of the Lord. He was to proclaim that this world and everything in it will be destroyed. And that unless we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be destroyed along with it. Why is that? So that sinners will repent and believe and be saved. See, God is pouring out his judgments on the earth. And he will do so with greater intensity the closer we get to the second coming of Christ. But his purpose in doing so is not to destroy, but rather to save. And this is why, after sounding each of the seven trumpets, only one-third of the world was affected. Why was that? Why only one-third? Well, obviously, so that the rest might sit up and take notice and cry out to the Lord and be saved. Now, sadly, as we saw last week, in most cases, this will fall on deaf ears. But that doesn't stop God from reaching out. God wants men to be saved, but he uses means. And the main means he uses to this end is the preaching of the word of God. And this is why he commissioned John to keep on preaching. It's because he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn to him and live. At the beginning of this sermon, I noted that this world and everything in it is doomed to destruction. And in light of this, I ask the question, what is our task? What is our calling in light of this reality? Well, John provides us with the answer. It's not to run away and hide. It's not to cower. Rather, it's to go out into the world with courage and to keep on proclaiming the word of God, including its judgments. Didn't our Lord do exactly the same? Like John, he too ate up the word of God and burned within him. His food and drink was to do the will of his Father in heaven, and he did. And in the end, it cost him his very life. But his love for sinners did not change. He still loved them and cared for them. That's why before he ascended into heaven, he commanded his disciples to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel so that hearing and believing, they might be saved. And that same command comes to us today, beloved. We live in a world that is perishing and is doomed to judgment. And only we have the answer. Only we have hope. And the message of our text is, get out there and proclaim it. Will you do that? Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by, or if you have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take the time to write us a short note Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386, Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. And when you write to us, please indicate the call letters of this station. If you do take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you, free of charge, a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. And in this booklet... Pastor Neil Pronk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, and we hope it may be a rich blessing to you and your family. 
Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages, but you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is always welcome and deeply appreciated. You can send donations to this ministry to our mailing address, which is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Thank you for listening, and now... Until next week, may the Lord be with you all.